Hello, everyone, and welcome to Founders Ascent, the podcast where we discuss books relating to fitness, entrepreneurship, and self-improvement. My name is BJ, and I'm here with Gavin, and we're discussing Deep Work by Cal Newport. We've been reading this book this week, and hopefully you saw our last episode where we discussed Atomic Habits, but now we're here talking about Deep Work. Gavin, what are your first thoughts about the book? Yeah. Deep Work was a solid book, and in this episode, we're going to talk about the few takeaways that we were able to take away from this here book to start off and lay the foundation for what we're going to be talking about throughout this entire podcast. I'm just going to define a few things here defined by Cal Newport in his book. Starting off here, what is deep work? Well, he defines deep work as work performed in a distraction-free environment that pushes cognitive capacities to the limit, creates new value, improves your skill, and it's hard to replicate. He also defines shallow work here. He defines shallow work as non-cognitively demanding logistical style tasks that are easy to replicate. And then the last thing I wanna talk about here is the equation that he uses, which is time spent multiplied by intensity of focus equals amount of high quality work produced and those are going to be the most important things for you guys to understand here starting off yeah and i think one of the key things that deep work adds is this idea of intensity as another thing we should be trying to maximize not just quality and quantity or consistency but intensity which actually produces higher quality and faster work just by being in the right mindset the sort of flow state which is also talked about in atomic habits he says that humans are in their most productive state when they're just at the edge of their abilities not so difficult that they give up and uh, it's just impossible to make progress but also not so easy that they get bored and they make lazy mistakes and so with that being said, and these books really do sort of help play off one another, as Atomic Habits talks about, you know, building up habits to be consistent. Deep work is creating a very specific habit, which is this habit of distraction-free, dedicated blocks of time for a specific purpose that moves you towards whatever goal that you want to accomplish. Uh, that can be writing a book. That can be um, working on maybe a technical project or invention or something like that. But it's really important to get into a consistent habit of having these deep work sessions, whether that's you dedicate a block of like three, four months out of your year just to working on this one thing. It talks a lot about how Bill Gates would go on like a two week long trip just up in the cabins and just read and write and think and think about what important things were happening at Microsoft and how the world might change. But also talks about sort of reporters using deep work to write their books and articles just by dedicating this part of their time and quickly being able to transition to this distraction-free state where they can focus on writing and getting stuff done. And so getting into this deep work habit is really important to have the highest quality results and the most focused results you can get, which is what society is going to value. 
you're going to need to play around with that essentially and see what works best for you. Maybe you're the kind of person that can sit down and work on something for an extended period of time. You just, you block out, say, four, four hours of your day that are going to be spent on coding per se, or maybe you're a student and your schedule is changing all the time. You have classes at different times each semester, and you're not necessarily able to stick with one fixed schedule for an extended period of time, like somebody that is in a job and has been for a really long time. And so you just need to play around with it a little bit. And, and maybe you're the kind of person that is kind of just sitting down at your computer and learning how to code or something like that, which would be your instance of deep work whenever you have the ability to do so. Yeah, and you, you really just have to play around with it as much as you can. And getting back to the deep work equation here, the time spent times intensity of focus equals the amount of high quality work produced, that addition or that variable that he adds with the intensity of focus, I think is really cool because while it is intuitive when you hear it, it's not necessarily something that's on the forefront of your mind. Most of the time, and for at least for me, I've just thought about time spent doing something being the biggest factor in my output. And if I spend more time doing something, I'll essentially be better at it, which is true. best to take all this shallow work out of your life and replace it with deep work as best you can. Yeah. And so when establishing this habit, you really want to go path of least resistance. I mean, we talk with your boss directly about how much do they actually expect shallow work to be done, like answering emails, attending meetings that aren't particularly relevant to you stuff like that, and actually figuring out and getting their permission to ignore stuff that would reduce their, uh, your personal time for deep work. And also, I definitely agree that you know time spent on it is probably one of the most important factors. But it's not just time spent. I think about it as number of iterations. How many times am I able to do this and get results and evaluate those results and learn from them? And so by doing as many iterations as possible and going over and over and doing uh, something where gradually, incrementally, you can see those gains like we talk about in Atomic Habits. I, I think that's sort of the most important thing that um, when it comes to producing success. But I also think that um, another important thing which Deep Work covers is you can't just be working all the time. You need time to be bored and come up with ideas. And if you are consuming shallow uh, work whenever you're bored, I, I think you're wasting a great opportunity to be creative and be in the moment because the shallow work is just destroying your attention span. With this quick 10, 30 seconds media bites that don't give you a whole ton of information but gets you just a quick dopamine spike and rewards you or whatever that sort of thing it destroys your ability to do long-term work. And so being bored and taking that time to be creative and just think maybe rather than 
just consuming content. I, I think that's really important part of deep work, just finding time in between to be bored rather than immediately going towards shallow work. And becoming the kind of person that works that works as deep as, as humanly possible, you need to be the kind of person that is able to embrace boredom to the best of your ability. So if, if you're the kind of person that scrolls through social media after, say, five seconds of boredom, then your attention span isn't long enough, right? And, and social media's effects essentially are pretty bad in Cal Newport's opinion. And we're definitely going to talk about social media later. But right now, I just want to talk about how you need to make sure that you're focusing or like BJ was saying, doing your best to take away this, this shallow work because the shallow work is limiting your attention span. If, if you're in the middle of something important and you take a break and you start looking through your email or something like that, which would be considered shallow work, you're taking away from that and, and you're definitely going to be harming yourself long-term because your productivity is going to decrease a lot. So we want to make sure that we're spending as much time as possible in deep work rather than shallow work, which is ruining your attention span. And if your attention span's ruined, then how productive are you really going to be? Because you're not going to be doing much deep work in the end, right? Yeah. And I would say if content takes less than 10 minutes to consume, it probably isn't really providing enough value for it to be worth your time. Because if you consume, you know, 10, 15, one minute clips, you probably will forget almost all of them or all but one or two. But if you watch a 10 minute video about a very specific topic that you're interested in, you're probably going to retain a lot, if not all of the information in that video, or if you spend that time reading an article or however you want to consume information. I, I think if you can convert all the time wasted scrolling on social media to time spent listening to podcasts, listening to lectures, reading articles, reading books, and just convert all the wasted time to actual useful time, I think you're going to see fantastic results just by spending time on stuff that's more meaningful and that actually produces results towards the goal you're working towards rather than just mindlessly consuming content and not getting anything out of it. And like it, this is not a war against social media. We're, we're obviously, I mean, we're on TikTok, we're on Instagram, we promote our podcast there. Although I there don't are have, caveats. Yeah, I don't. I don't have TikTok except for for business. I've never downloaded content. Uh, downloaded TikTok for personal reasons. And Gavin, I believe you don't consume any Instagram contents at all for personal reasons either. Currently, right? no, I don't. I used yeah. to. I don't anymore. Right. I think it's wasted. Yeah, and it's just you know, it's bits of information that aren't really worthwhile and doesn't really work towards where we want to go. We understand, like, there are great benefits to social media. Through social media, anyone can become an influencer 
and live their passion and grow a following and turn that following into sponsorships and other ways to monetize their audience. And from there, they get to do what they love and simply just make content around what they love and live their life doing that. And that's fantastic. But those people, I think, are getting a whole ton out of social media, where a lot of other people, they're getting negative out of social media because even though they feel like they're learning stuff, they feel like, oh, these little tips and tricks that I'm just going to save, I'll go back and look at them and they'll be super useful to remember. Oh, this clip is funny and makes me happy. Yes, I I'm sure in the moment it makes you happy and I'm sure in the moment you think that tip or trick is the coolest thing and really awesome, but how often do you actually go back and look at all those saved videos or actually remember the content you consume because it's just speeding past and there's not that much actually meaningful there. And if you do remember something, then it probably was legitimately meaningful and you found the needle in the haystack, basically. How Newport does dedicate an entire chapter of this book on quitting social media, and he definitely does hold strong opinions about social media. He doesn't really use examples where social media is beneficial within a person's life. I think he does make a really compelling argument against social media. This was definitely my favorite chapter of the book because social media is something that I've done my best to ease out of my life over the past few months. And so reading this chapter really resonated with me because of that. He talks about how starting off, initially, you have to make goals, right? And so you sit down for a while, you make your goals. And after you've accomplished step one, which is making your goals, you got to move on to step two, which is creating a system that allows you to accomplish these goals, okay? And part of forming that system is picking tools that are going to help you accomplish these goals, okay? And when you're picking these tools, you need to make sure that these tools have more positives than negatives. And that's extremely intuitive. But some people think that uh, some of these, these positives here are actually positive or are actually positives when they really aren't. And so he talks about social media here and it being a tool because it essentially is. And so let's say the goal that we're talking about here is becoming a more social person and talking to friends more, right? And you need to sit down and list a bunch of tools that you would use to help you accomplish that goal. And social media would probably pop into your mind for, for that goal because, it, it, I mean, it's pretty clear. Most people think that the connections that you're getting from social media are actually meaningful. I say connections with, like, with air quotes there because I personally don't think that the connections you're getting from social media are actually meaningful in the end anyway. But what you essentially have to do is you have to find out what your goals are right? Create the system that's going to help you get towards those goals, which is talked about in Atomic Habits, which I think is a great book. You guys should check that book out. But in creating that system, you need to find tools that are going to help you, right? 
And you need to stick to the tools that are actually the most important, right? And in this chapter, he brings up the law of the vital few. And the law of the vital few essentially says that in many settings, 80% of a given effect is due to just 20% of the possible causes, right? So for any goal that you have, about 20% of the tools that you're using are going to produce about 80% of the output in helping you accomplish said goal, right? So if you name like 10 tools that you're using to help you accomplish a specific goal, I bet you only two of them, two of those tools that you're using are actually producing like 80% of the output that are actually getting you towards this goal. So you really need to think about it that way and actually stick to the couple of tools that are seriously benefiting you. And I doubt social media is going to be the top two for, for like 99% of people. Yeah. Uh, unless you're using social media for a very sp specific reason, growing a brand, promoting a business, then yes. that's, an, that's an entirely different category. Content mm -hmm. production and using media to uh, have leverage in the world, that's perfectly reasonable. We're talking very specifically about people who are consuming social media and but that social media isn't doesn't have a goal in mind like that that is not moving towards a goal that they want to accomplish if you're trying to write a book consuming social media content about writing books might be helpful like a, a lot of times it's just going to be junk food social media basically that isn't actually promoting anything unless you are actively interacting with it and you're going through iteration after iteration. Like if you're maybe going through social media and you're tracking down uh, writing prompts and you're actually using those prompts to think about your world building and write uh, down ideas for your book, that's probably actually useful because then you're going through iteration after iteration and becoming better and better at being a writer. But if you're watching just like clips from movies because you want to write a screenplay and you think those clips are helpful, they probably aren't. They're probably just clips that are, sure, very well written and can be analyzed. But it's probably more important for you to focus on your own writing rather than other people's sort of clips of well-written screenplays that are just one element of a good, good screenplay that you aren't actually interacting with or becoming any better at. And using social media as a way to form connections with other people, as Gavin was talking about, it's a great purpose and I'm very happy I get to talk with friends around the world instantly and not be restricted in that way. But if you also for all those connections that you're just maintaining and they're not actually that meaningful, maybe you tuck social media consumption into the last, you know, 10 minutes during lunch. Like at the end of lunch, you'll scroll through and make sure that, oh, you'll see this person is getting married and you'll see all this great stuff about people that were once probably very meaningful in your life or that you've met online and you enjoy interacting with, but you, you shouldn't let social media become 
you shouldn't let social media consume your other goals and passions and what you actually want to accomplish, right? And that is going to be done through systems, as Gavin discussed, but also, especially for maybe academics or people in the professional life, placing a system of screeners for your email and getting in contact with you it also is probably going to be helpful for you. Having an auto response on your email, like, uh, if this is in relation to this, you should contact this person, don't contact me. If it's, and do conditionals like that and go through that if you're going to contact me, it's very be a very specific reason and I, it shouldn't be something that I'm gonna to have to redirect you to another person. And also put those conditionals at the end of your emails. Like if someone wants to meet for coffee, don't just say yeah. Say yes. I I've attached specific times and dates. Pick any one of them. Or if none of those work, go ahead and call me here and we can discuss it. Or something like that. Where you limit the number of times uh number of back and forth emails and communications that are necessary to accomplish a goal. And just think about your communications as shallow work that is taking away time that could be more better focused on accomplishing your goals. And using sort of the 80-20 principle to limit stuff to only the most efficient, the most beneficial tools is a great way to aggressively sort of defend your time and make sure that you're able to accomplish the things you want to accomplish. Because at the end of the day, you don't have that much time to do the things that you want to do. Yeah, that's, that's definitely true. The 80-20 principle is awesome. I think the main caveat with, with social media that I would say is if you're producing something or using, like BJ was saying, social media to grow your personal brand, I see that as the main source of wanting to use social media in the end but the 80 20 principle still applies okay like if you're able to grow your brand in another way then in, in a more efficient way than using instagram then do it the other way right like the 80 20 principle applies regardless i just think that the 80 20 principle would be the best with growing your brand, like you're probably going to be the most productive with social media if you wanted to do it because it's, it's free leverage. There's a ton of people already using it. You know, like that's, I mean, that's free advertising if you're able to gain a sizable audience through it. And yeah. then pretty much the and, last and thing I, I wanted to, oh, oh yeah, you go. Yeah. I just want to interject. You can also you use the 80, 20 principle to identify specific platforms. Like, there are at least a dozen different places, you know, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, all these places, Reddit, where you can grow your brand in specific communities. And you should try to identify where the attention actually is and where you're actually able to provide the most value rather than just doing what's easiest or what's, um, what, or just going broad and doing everything because th that probably is going to waste a ton of your time from providing actual value where it matters. And so avoiding uh, avoiding platforms where you're not seeing a real return, even while growing a brand. Now, 
not avoiding platforms like, oh, I tried this for a week and I haven't seen any growth, therefore the platform must be bad. No, that's, but making, once you have done it for a very long time and gone through several, it, it, uh, enough iterations where you can actually see, oh, this platform actually isn't providing the value I need from it for it to be worth my time compared to the time I'm spending to produce content for it, that's when you drop it, not, you know, drop it as soon as you don't see any results because that's not how social media works when growing a brand like that, obviously. True. You, you definitely apply it small scale like that. It doesn't necessarily just have to be in the broad sense of social media just as a tool in and of itself. You can apply it to yeah, like 20% of the social media platforms, right? And, and try to narrow it down to those and then spend all your time on those 20% instead of the other ones that really aren't having a good bang for your buck. But, but getting back to like connections with social media, I just want to talk about how the, the connections, and I say connections again with air quotes, because they're not necessarily authentic connections that you're going to be getting online. I, I really am not the biggest fan of social media for this specific reason, because those connections that you're, that you're getting weren't, as authentic as, as you necessarily think they are, people post or people tend to post events on social media. And, and by events, I mean big things in their lives. And they can spend a lot of time picking and choosing what they want you to see about their life. And th this is the biggest part about social media that, that I think is bad because you think by seeing your friend post, or I guess an acquaintance for that matter, post something about their life, like say they win a race or something like that in a track meet, okay? You see that they won a race, okay? But you, you see this, this broad event that they've, that they've done, and you don't see anything. You don't know how hard they work to accomplish that goal. You just see their shiny outside. When you're seeing their shiny outside, you have absolutely no idea about anything else that is going on in their life. You know, like you may think this person has it so much better than I do or something like that. And in reality, maybe this person's actually fairly sad, right? Because they're only posting their shiny outside on social media. And you looking at that and, and thinking to yourself, you know, this person probably has it so much better than I do, I think is a bad way of thinking about it. Sort of the last thing I wanted to say about this as well, like this necessarily, this doesn't have to do with social media anymore. It's kind of a tangent, but it, it really just deals with looking at people's shiny outside. So like, let's pretend you're like driving in your, your Honda Civic or something like that on your way home from work. Maybe you had a bad day and you're not the well, most well-off person financially. And you see the person to the right of you is driving a really nice sports car. Let's pretend it's a Ferrari or whatever. And you see their, their shiny outside, but you don't really think about anything else in their life, okay? You see the fact that they own a really expensive car and you didn't think about the fact that maybe this person has a ton of responsibility in their life because they're able to afford that Ferrari, right? 
and maybe this person is extremely depressed and, and you don't realize that and you sit there in your your deep Honda car, right? And maybe your life in actuality is better than theirs, better in the sense that you're happier than them. And I think that's the most important thing that I remind myself of when I look at social media and look at these posts that these people are doing because they're posting events. They're not posting anything else. And I think it's very super superficial when we look at it and say that they're better than us when in actuality they may not be. Yeah. And I mean, there was always editing that's happening on social media. And I don't just mean that in the graphic, like visual effects editing, but also in the sense of just picking what to post and when to post it and sort of understanding that you're not getting a complete picture of someone's life when you're looking on social media. And so thinking that that's going to be a deep con connection when it's only a partial part of the, like, a, it's just a small portion of their life that you're getting access to through social media. Like, I don't think it's hard to understand that it may not be the deepest connection when you only get a fraction of their life in those posts and so keeping track of what connections are actually meaningful through social media and what connections are superficial and sort of a waste of time because they don't move you closer to your goals of being a more friendly person and uh, having whatever success you want whether that's in relationships or in wealth or in health or happiness or whatever else or whatever the metric you would define success as. But so I think that's sort of all I have to say about deep work. It was an interesting read, a bit like, I think Atomic Habits certainly was much better in terms of actual practical advice you can apply to your life and in terms of how, um, in terms of, being super specific about what you need to do and why it's valuable with this went on and on about you know deep work what is important and valuable and all that but maybe it wasn't nearly as clear about what it would take to accomplish that because it it made at one point in the book it made a simplifying assumption that i found somewhat annoying which is that time away from the internet equated to more productive deep work time which i think is a little absurd because you have access to so many more resources resources through the internet that i have a hard time imagining that someone is more productive without it assuming that when they use the internet they don't get distracted because access to so many more resources also means you have access to so many more distractions. And so just identifying what is a distraction and identifying what is productive, I think, is the key takeaway from this book. And reducing what you do to the most impactful, most beneficial activities and leaving the rest out. Because if it's really not having that much of an effect on your life, why why are you wasting your life doing it? Yeah, guys, don't waste your don't waste your life doing it. Okay, but I think yeah, I 
Atomic Habits was definitely a better book overall. Deep Work is solid. There are a few things you could take away from it. I think a better way to spend your time would probably be reading Atomic Habits in the end. Because I think there's a lot more to take away from that book as far as automizing things in your life to the best of your ability. Because motivation is perishable and it's not going to get you from point A to point B. It may help you start like initiating things in your life, but it's not going to get you from point A to point B, right? And Atomic Habits does a good job of describing things in depth. How Newport does a good... He does talk about a lot of the same principles and ideas, except he chooses to dive deep into other areas. He spends a lot of time in this book describing why working deep is important, which I think he could have said in like five pages, but he chose to spend like a third of the book talking about that. Like if you guys wanted to read this book and you haven't already, I recommend reading the chapter on rule number three about quitting social media. Like you could probably only read that chapter and still take away a lot of material from this book. And again, it would be a better way of spending your time maybe just reading chapter three or just reading Atomic Habits for that matter. But yeah, essentially the main takeaway from this book, in my opinion, would be to eliminate the distractions as best you can from your life in that social media chapter he was talking about the 80 20 rule stick to the 20 percent of things in your life that are giving you 80 percent of the, the benefits or growth in that towards that particular goal right so stick to the tools that are actually helping you okay and eliminate the ones that aren't and i think in the end you're going to be fairly successful and more productive than you would have been otherwise yeah. So I, I think that's all we have to say. Thank you yeah, so I guess much. It is all. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, next week we're going to be covering uh, "Never Split the Difference" by Chris Voss, the former CIA hostage negotiator. So I think this is going to be a really interesting book about how to handle negotiations and a different style book from the past two that we've worked on. So if you want to read that, go ahead and read that this week. And we'll be back here Tuesdays at noon for that. Uh, we hope the audio was okay. We're recording this virtually due to um, personal arrangements with both of us not being able to be in the same room at the same time. And we'll probably do that as well over the break for um, the holidays. But we'll be back doing it in person and probably with better quality audio in the future. Also, we still have the static background. So if you have a recommendation for what you would prefer to see there that would be more helpful, or if you just don't care, then tell us that the static background is fine. But we would love your feedback in the comments about this. And go ahead and subscribe so you can keep up to date with how you can become more successful and productive in your life anything to add gavin the last thing i want to add is if never split the difference is a bad book then it's bj's fault not mine
it came highly recommended. I think <laughs> we are fine in that department. But we appreciate you listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye.